Welcome to the Faith Connections Podcast, a partnership between the Foundry Publishing, Nazarene Discipleship International, and Holiness Today. Welcome to our study this week of Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. My name is Scott Rainey. I serve with the Church of the Nazarene in the area of Nazarene Discipleship International, or NDI. This adult Sunday school video lesson is provided in collaboration between the Foundry Publishing and NDI. The Sunday school lesson is intended to support the local church's efforts to make disciples who make disciples. Please feel free to use this video in any way that helps your church or its families. It's only natural for the church to think about the coming of Jesus during the Advent season. People decorate their houses with lights. Gifts are purchased, wrapped, and placed under a tree. But one of the most significant changes during Advent is in the music. When we are filled with excitement about the coming of Jesus, I find it interesting that the church does so much singing. I've heard many families have fake arguments about whether Christmas songs can be sung before Thanksgiving or do they have to wait until after Thanksgiving? Moms usually win such arguments. Many Christian radio stations begin a schedule of playing only Christmas music 24-7 following Thanksgiving Day. Churches insert Christmas carols into all the services. Homes are filled with Christmas hymns like Joy to the World, O Come All Ye Faithful, Silent Night, God Rest You Merry Gentlemen, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and the newest one, Mary Did You Know. Christ's church loves to sing what we believe about Jesus. The early church was a singing church too. Acts chapter 16, verse 25 says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 15 says, so what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. James chapter 5, verse 13 says, is anyone among you in trouble, let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. What were these hymns and songs of praise mentioned in the New Testament? In today's lesson, we will look at one of the scriptures referred to as a Christ hymn. This hymn, found in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20, focuses on the nature of Christ and his salvation. Biblical scholars have wondered if Paul was composing poetry on the spur of the moment, or was he quoting some well-known early church hymn? Regardless of what we might choose to believe about the origin of these words, what we find in Paul's letter is a Christian hymn that teaches about the person of Jesus and the work of salvation that he has completed for all of humanity. Was this the hymn that Paul and Silas were singing in the Roman jail that night? Did Paul encourage the church to sing this hymn in the spirit and with understanding? 
Was this hymn to be sung by the church in praise to God? Let's turn to Colossians chapter 1 and begin to read together. It's Colossians 1 verses 15 to 23. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross." Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. You might remember that the gospel writer, John, began his gospel with the words, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. John chapter 1, verse 1. John's good news began like Genesis 1-1 with the words, in the beginning. John didn't start his story about Jesus with the physical birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. Instead, he went back to the time before creation to declare that the word was present before time began, that the word was with God and that the word was God. In John chapter 1, verse 3, we learn that the world was made or created through the word. And finally, in John chapter 1, verse 14, John declared that the word became flesh in Jesus Christ of Nazareth. The word is God and was present before creation. The word was responsible for creation. And third, the word in a moment in history became a person. This three-part declaration in the Gospel of John is quite similar to what we find in the Christ hymn of Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. The hymn is set up in two major sections, echoing each other around the word firstborn. The first section, verses 15 to 17, goes all the way back like John to the beginning of time and declares that Jesus was the firstborn over all creation, verse 15. We'll talk about this in just a moment. The second section, 
verses 18 to 20, speaks of Christ's resurrection and declares that Jesus was, quote, the firstborn from among the dead, verse 18. Let me start with part one, what I'm calling created by Christ. It begins with the declaration that the Son is the image of the invisible God, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. It's noteworthy that this statement is made in the first section, the section about creation. The Son is the image of the invisible God, not in his body, but in his character. He doesn't look like God physically any more than you or, or I do. He looks like God in his actions. The Greek word translated image is the word icon. The way the Greeks understood icon does not suggest that Christ is merely a copy of God, but rather that Christ shared in the reality of God. In other words, Jesus Christ is God. In the first section of the Christ hymn, we learn three specific truths about Jesus. First, Jesus is superior to all things created. Verse 15 gives our first reference to the concept of firstborn. The Son is the firstborn over all creation. The fact that Jesus was called the firstborn over all creation does not mean that the Son of God was created first before the rest of creation. Christian theology has taught that as the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God was not created by the Father. Rather, all three members of the Trinity are equally co-eternal. The statement that the Son is the firstborn over all creation speaks of his prominence and supremacy in the created order. Second, not only is Jesus superior to all things in the created order, he's the creator of all things. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 says, all things have been created through him and for him. And then third, we find out that Jesus is not only superior to all things and not only the creator of all things, he is the one who sustains all things. Colossians chapter 1 verse 17 says, in him all things hold together. They were created, but they're also held together by Jesus. God did not create the world and then disengage from his creation. Rather, God is actively engaged in the ongoing governance of creation. I try to begin each day with alone time with Jesus. As I pray, I praise Jesus for who he is, his unchangeable qualities. I also thank him for what he has done in the past. But Colossians chapter 1 verse 17 reminds us that Jesus is actively working in our lives today. He is sustaining us with his wonderful presence. Recently, I was thinking about God's wonderful presence. I distinctly had the thought that God, the creator of the world, is anxiously awaiting for me to wake up each morning so that he and I can be together. Think about that for a moment. God loves you so much and enjoys being with you that he's waiting in the morning for you to awaken 
so that you and he can talk. This is the picture of God as our sustainer. The first section of the Christ hymn of Colossians has already established the Son of God as pre-existent, supreme, creator, and sustainer. The second section now moves to discuss the Son of God's place in the church and in salvation, verses 18 to 20 of Colossians chapter 1. In the second section of the Christ hymn, Paul and Timothy declare that the Son of God is the head of the body, the church, verse 18. The church is not simply an institution established by Christians after the day of Pentecost to perpetuate the teaching and practices of Jesus. The church in this scripture is referred to as the body of Christ, a living organism which shares the life and spirit of Christ. Jesus is the head of his body, the church. Once again, this shows, this shows Christ's supremacy over all created things. As head, we also see Christ as actively engaged in the lives of those he came to save. He's not separated from his body. He's leading, guiding, and empowering his church. We learn in Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, that God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in his Son. God fully dwelling in the Son speaks of the incarnation of Jesus. The incarnation teaches that the God of all the universe became human. God became man in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. All the fullness of God dwelling in his Son. If you want to know what God is like, you simply have to look at Jesus. And if you want to know how Christians are to live in the same way, you only need to look at Jesus. No additional revelation beyond the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus would ever be needed to reveal God or to affect salvation. When we speak of God dwelling in Christ, our thoughts might go to the Old Testament references to God being pleased to dwell in his tabernacle or his temple. Exodus chapter 40, verses 34 and 35 say this, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In the same way, God was pleased to have his fullness dwell permanently in Christ, Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. Amazingly, God's plan is to set apart his people, to sanctify his people, those who believe on Jesus. With God's sanctifying spirit active in the lives of believers, he may now dwell, indwell us as with the example of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, Paul says, do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? You see, the incarnation of Jesus, God becoming man, shows us what God is like and also shows us what Christians can be like. That is, we can be Christ-like, a vessel 
where the fullness of God dwells. In fact, this is where the last part of our passage, verses 21 to 23, goes. The reconciliation of Christ. What does Christ's life, death, and resurrection make possible for humanity? Verse 21 of Colossians chapter 1 begins by reminding the Colossians of their previous condition. They were alienated from God, even enemies of God. This condition before God was evidenced in both their thoughts in their minds and their actions, evil behavior. Living away from God affects both thoughts and actions. And in the same way, returning to God will affect both thoughts and actions. Paul does not dwell long on the Colossians' past, however. In verse 22, he turned to the now of the Christian life. Verse 22 begins with refreshing words, but now. The Colossian believers were one way, but now they are another. Believers would do well to think about how their life is different since believing in Jesus. In evangelism training, I learned that the best way to structure your personal testimony is using three words, before, how, and since. The first part of your testimony begins with the phrase, before I knew Christ, dot, 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 and is designed for you to share a problem that defined your life without Jesus. The second part of your testimony explains how you came to repent and believe. The third part of your testimony begins with a phrase, since I have accepted Christ, and is intended to address the problem that you had before you knew Christ. As an example, one believer might tell their story this way. Before I knew Christ, I suffered from fear of the unknown. Two years ago, I repented of my sins and a lack of faith and put my full trust in Jesus. Since repenting and believing, God has calmed my fears by giving me assurance of his constant presence in my life. How would you describe your story in this way? Before, how, and since? As our lesson concludes for this week, our passage once again focuses on the incarnation of Christ. Verse 22 says that it was Jesus' physical body that enabled salvation and reconciliation. The death and resurrection of a physical body demonstrated Christ's supremacy over death once and for all. The perfect son of God taking on the sin of the world so that reconciliation might be possible between God and humanity. Paul also makes plain the effects that such salvation can bring, that is, holiness. Christ can make believers both without blemish and free from accusation. Without blemish includes the imagery of the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. Animal sacrifices were to be perfect or without blemish. The words free from accusation come from a legal setting where a defendant might be found without an accuser. They are free from accusation. Think of it. God both cleanses and forgives human sin. Jesus Christ is sufficient 
for our reconciliation with the Father. The emphasis on the sufficiency of the reconciling work of Christ does not leave you and me without responsibility, though. The beginning of verse 23, if you continue in your faith, means as long as you continue in your faith. Relationship with God, which makes cleansing and forgiveness possible, is something that must be lived and worked out. Salvation is maintained in the same way that it is obtained by faith. God will not force salvation on any unbeliever, even unbelievers who have previously believed. Salvation exists within a relationship of trust between God and those who are being saved by God. That relationship exists only if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. From the earliest days of the Christian tradition, songs and hymns have provided concise declarations about Christ. Some of the words of these hymns have become key passages for our Christian creeds of the first few centuries. Such creeds are not merely given as a means of deciding who's in the church and who's not. Theological creeds are more than just something we believe intellectually or think about in our minds. Instead, our beliefs about Jesus are intricately tied to our actions in this world as followers of Jesus. When people are made new creations by faith in the Son of God, that is belief, the Holy Spirit makes his home in them, and the work of transformation into Christlikeness begins, that is, action, belief and action working together. The Apostle Paul calls the church in Colossae, and indeed calls us, to believe in the character of the Son of God, and by believing, to live a new way, the way of Jesus. As we sing our Christmas carols this year, let us hear them as hymns of praise to and about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May these hymns move us both to believe in the Son of God, who became man 2,000 years ago, and to walk as he walked, filled with all the fullness of the Father by his Spirit. Thank you for listening to the Faith Connections podcast. If you wish to order Faith Connection materials for your local church, please visit thefoundrypublishing.com. If you've enjoyed this production and wish to hear more, visit holinesstoday.org slash podcast or find us on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts.